Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. And it is eight minutes after the hour. Powderhorn is in the studio. Jordan and Kelsey on board. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning, sir. I'm looking at these uh, firearms you brought in. We'll talk about them at the top of the next hour uh, in, in, in greater detail. But I, d I do want to talk a few, a few minutes and probably during this hour about the EZ, uh, the Smith Shield EZ that you brought in. Um, because uh, somebody that I know and love uh, is looking for a firearm that they can rack and they have uh, poor uh, wrist strength. Uh, we'll kind of chat about that in a few minutes, but uh, first let me talk about where you are. You're at 1915 Paris Road, and I have a question for you two. You open at 10, but you're going to be on the air till 10. What gives? Um, I have some very, very good employees and coworkers that are taking the responsibility of <laughs> getting everything started this morning. And, I just, uh, just want to make sure. Yes. You know. No, they, they will be there. We will be there not shortly, not too long after. Or at least I will be. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, boy, a lot of things uh, going on in the news. By the way, uh, Gary on Guns is on Facebook, but we are migrating to politichatter.com. Politichatter.com, and it's Gary on Guns. It's, it looks exactly like it does on Facebook, it, but it's easier to navigate for me on Politichatter. And secondly, they won't censor me uh, the way Facebook does. Uh, just last week, Brian posted a firearm uh, on uh, Gary on Guns at Facebook, and he got put in, uh, in jail for the day. They wouldn't have for 24 hours. They wouldn't let him post. Um, what exactly was wrong with your post, Brian? Because it was they identical. A, yeah, it had a gun in it. They, they're not fond of those things, so they had to take it down. Violated some some uh, policy that Facebook has regarding yeah. posting uh, weapons. But we did it all the time. I don't know what happened. It just uh, I think it's changed. what you were thinking when you posted that the picture. That could be. It was like, oh, this is a very cool one. And, <laughs> and it was kind of a scary-looking weapon. And so I'm sure they said, oh, yeah, no, we can't have that. Yeah, nothing. except that Larry posted the same picture. And yeah, he, and that was fine. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> did, he didn't even get put in jail. Oh, boy. Uh, 874-9390, toll-free numbers 800-529-5572. If you've got questions, we have got, uh, we've got answers. Um, there was a, a shooting in California a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think it was like a, a, a transportation uh, uh, center, I guess. I, I'm assuming you guys uh, heard the story. A uh, disgruntled former employee goes in and, and starts shooting people. Yeah, I did see that in the news. <laughs> yeah. Um, he used a pistol. I don't know about you two, but when I see one of those stories, the first thing, and it terrifies me, is, geez, I hope they didn't use an AK-47 or an AR-15 <laughs> or some semi-automatic rifle because I know the left will capitalize on it and try to pretend that it's, you know, the great evil of the 21st century. Yeah, you, you do hate for that to come through your head, but, I mean, it. gosh, since like 2010, every single time, that's that's one of the first things, maybe the second thing that runs through your head after thinking about the, the, the terrible thing that happened. But, man, you go, oh, no, what what did they use? What happened? What, yeah. we, what What's the potential for loss? and the fight that's coming. Yeah, what are they going to distort in order to make their case? Um, well, it turns out he didn't use those. He used a pistol. So the mayor snapped into action as the result of that and said, we need to ban AR-15s. <laughs> Logic. <laughs> Where? 
<laughs> think of the state we're dealing with first and foremost, and then well, it, it makes sense. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's just crazy. Well, you know, in in California, the federal court just struck down their uh, assault weapons ban. I saw uh, that. That's weird for that court too. Well, you know, um, I'm not the biggest Trump fan in the world, but one of the things that he did was put in some really good judges, including uh, in that court. Uh, what's going to happen next is they're going to go on bunk, uh, which means uh, the entire uh, court will hear the case. Then it might flip the other way, but it's going to end up at the Supreme Court eventually. And uh, we've got a slight edge with uh, Amy Coney Barrett, and I think ultimately it's going to get struck down. You can't have millions and millions of people uh, that own AR-15s and suddenly tell them they're violating the law, they've got to get rid of them, you can't. It just... Well, you have the potential for that happening. Well, with that, I mean, any state, you have multiple states that have talked about stuff like that. But, you know, I know we'll probably end up talking about the proposed rules for the pistol braces. But, you know, same thing. You're about to make three to four million owners all of a sudden have a, a really big problem on a certain date that they come up with, however they come up with those dates. Yeah. Um, this this is uh, this is going to be a little bit of a problem. New rule proposed by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Um, at the request of President Biden, would make most firearms with stabilizing pistol braces illegal. So, you know, you and I, uh, most of us have the advantage of uh, two working appendages, uh, and we can easily handle an AR-15 or a 1911 or whatever because we've got two hands. If you don't, maybe you're a veteran of the war and something happened and you don't have the use of one hand or the other. You won't be able to to fire these guns. Yeah, and I, I read the proposed legislation last night. You can find a link to it. Uh, I didn't find a link to it through the government. Imagine that. I had to go to the NRA's website and found a link to the PDF that had the proposed rules because, of course, they haven't posted them yet um, on the, the government's official website that I saw. Um, and uh, it had no exemption for that either. You know, you figured to try to remove some of that argument they at least put an exemption to those rules if you were uh, disabled in some way but there's there's still nothing in there about that it's it's a pretty convoluted <laughs> it's it's worth reading because it, it's a pretty convoluted rule and point system they're coming up with very similar to the point system that they have for importing firearms deciding whether it's legal or not legal the aforementioned uh, president trump uh, may have actually aided uh in this uh, decision making process when he went after bump stocks uh, a totally useless device that may be fun to shoot, but not much more than that. Um, and, and you know, all the people in the country that owned bump stocks were suddenly in danger of being in, uh, criminals. Yeah, and that was, that was one day. I mean, it was just, hey, on this date, and I forget what the date was now, on this date, you can no longer possess those. I mean, that's that's an overnight thing, at least with the, the braces, they're not talking about that. They're talking about more or less defining them as an SBR, and then you having to register them and then um, pay your tax stamp and go through the standard, you know, uh, uh, rigmarole you got to, to to own an SBR. So I guess that may, maybe that's a step up on, on what happened with the bump stocks. But, yeah, that he did lay that precedent that was like, hey, man, that's you know, no legislative action, just one guy deciding, well, those are no longer going to be legal. Now, Kelsey, I can't think of a case uh, where uh, an arm brace was used to commit a crime. I'm sure somebody out there may have used one. It, you know, it happens. It's not this widespread, 
you know, every mass shooting, quote unquote, since they became a popular item, you just you don't see it. You know, if it was one of those things, if it was like, oh, yeah, we see these things all the time or whatever. But I don't know. It's it's frustrating, to say yeah. the least. It's one of those. Uh, they've been fighting braces since they became popular. You know, Sig Sauer and the ATF went round and round for, what, a year and a half to just make these things ownable the first time without a tax stamp. And here we are right back at it six years later. But, you know, there is a little shining, little light at the end of the tunnel uh, here in Missouri uh, because the governor is going to sign some legislation, I believe, today. Is it today? Yeah, I think it's today. That uh, may affect, in some ways, uh, Missouri. But we got to go into some detail about that and explain what it entails. And we'll do that next. Powderhorn on board with us this morning. I'm Gary on Guns. Good morning. 21 minutes after the hour, Gary on Guns. Before I get back to our guests uh, from Powderhorn and talking about uh, the Second Amendment Preservation Act, I want to chat with Brian, my producer, for just a minute. I rely on him for good and good and sound advice. Uh, I was looking at the Facebook page, Brian, and I got a friend request from Brittany Smith. Uh, she is a uh, nubile young lady wearing, uh, well, as... Yeah, I was going to ask you what she's wearing. Not much. Um, oh, yeah, it's fine. You and just she click. lives in Yemen. Yeah, yeah, she's a regular me. fan. That's that's I'm okay. Sure. Yeah, uh-huh. Accept the friend request. <laughs> Thank I got a couple buddy. of those today, too. Did you? Uh-huh. Good. Uh-huh. It's good. It's good to know that I've got you to... Yeah, yeah. Give me the right answers here. Yeah, you shouldn't have a problem. I'll just go ahead and... Except, yeah, uh, no, no trolling going on there. No, no worries. No trolling going on at Powderhorn either. Jordan and Kelsey on board with us this morning. Uh, the governor is going to sign the Second Amendment Preservation Act. We were just talking about arm braces, and I thought maybe we ought to go over this, um, see if we can make this uh, a little bit. Uh, well, just clarify a few things. Those arm braces are not illegal in Missouri. If you got one of those arm braces, the state of Missouri doesn't have anything on the books that says you can't own them. So with the signing of the Second Amendment Preservation Act, when it goes into force, law enforcement in the state of Missouri are not going to accost you if you have an arm brace. That does not mean that the federal government, if they see you, won't uh you know, confiscate it and go after you. The, uh, the, the federal government has just so many agents, and they simply don't have a lot of them in the state of Missouri or around the country. All the Second Amendment Preservation Act does is protect you from state and local law enforcement if there is a requirement or a law passed at the federal level that doesn't, and that's the key, doesn't violate Missouri law. So if you've got a fully automatic weapon illegally in the state of Missouri, local police can confiscate it and arrest you. If you you know if you don't have the permit, the tax stamp, and all the rest, uh, it does not protect you uh, in that circumstance where there is a law in Missouri. Um, Jordan, is it, did I make that clear, or is that like clear as mud? That's that's how I uh, you know interpreted it. It's just going to be a rule policy that um, they they overlook those violations. Of course, the big thing on that will be it for all of us federal firearms license holders. 
you're not going to be able to deal in those. You're not going to be able to transfer those. You're not going to be able to transfer them from private party to private party, any of that. It, we're not going to be able to deal in those because they will revoke your federal firearms license. So it will protect the individuals um, that is still perfectly legal to sell, you know, uh, you selling a gun to another individual as long as you don't believe they shouldn't have one is completely legal. Um, so it, it will take a, a lot of FFLs out of it. But, uh, yeah, the way I read it is anything the federal government passes that Missouri doesn't agree with is probably going to be state and local law enforcement should not enforce or will not enforce. But, but again, if a federal agent catches you, if BATF uh, sees you, you could be in trouble. You will be in trouble. That's correct. Well, on the same side of that, like we were talking about bump stocks earlier, technically, if someone walks in our store with a firearm with a bump stock on it, we are supposed to confiscate it. According to ATF, license holders are obligated to confiscate items like that. So will really? that uh huh will uh, that extend to the pistol braces? I you know technically I, we're a federal firearms license holder. Good lord, they made you the police. <laughs> that yeah, they tried. And I yeah. would not want to be the one that says uh, give me your you know, your firearm. <laughs> Luckily, the uh, guy sitting here in charge will just say, um, well, we'll just tell you that we probably can't buy that firearm from you. Yeah. And you'll have to you'll have to go somewhere else with it, unfortunately. <sighs> wow. Um, <laughs> home. Go home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Back out quietly. And but but there are some there are some things we had to talk about with regard to being in your position uh, and customers coming into the store. There's a piece that I was reading uh, that is right up your alley, and I'll, I'll explain it in just a minute, but let me grab a couple of phone calls here. Uh, we'll get Chris on the line first. Chris, welcome. Glad to have you on the Gary on Gun Show. You know, I like the whole idea of what Missouri and other states are doing with the uh, Second Amendment Preservation Act and all, but um, I also wonder, they can make all the laws they want. There's a lot of weasel room uh, always for law enforcement, and, and we have all this situation where we already have people who are on deputized as federal agents and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I think what we're going to end up with is we're going to end up with certain people, and, and you can almost guarantee certain prosecutors will do this. When they pull you over and they find you with weapons and they arrest you and all, the prosecutor is going to pick up the phone, call the federal prosecutor and go, hey, you know, we got a guy with a arm brace bump stock. Yeah, I don't think they're allowed well, to do that. The prosec um, Nobody controls the prosecutor, Gary. I mean, that gal in, in St. Louis, do you think she's not going to let somebody know that you got something she don't like? And then they'll come charge you while you're sitting in jail or come pick you up at your house. That's where the problem's going to be. And you still have the ability of certain people just to pick up the phone and drop a dime on you, even if they're not allowed to technically charge you or arrest you or do anything. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a nice thought, but I, trust me, people will find a, a, a way around it. And I've always had the problem with all these laws that you can see this just like with the deal in St. Louis. Those people, doesn't matter what Missouri law says. And the prosecutor is just almost able to do whatever they want to do. I, I think that it's pretty, uh, it's pretty well wrapped up. But I, I'll tell you what I'll do, Chris. Uh, I will double check. But I think that if you are on the payroll in the state of Missouri, uh, in law enforcement, uh, Which you technically might not include the prosecutor who's an elected official, but I'm just saying that, you know, we've always had the problem with prosecutors who go, well, the law may say that, but I'm going to run you through the ringer anyway. And I think that's, we've had this with all these deputized agents to start with, it's supposed to stop them from being able to do anything. But, you know, look, look at what they did with the confiscation, the, the, what do you call it? The assets 
forfeiture. We passed a law that says all the money goes to the school, so they deputize a federal agent. They give it to the feds. The feds give it back to them. It doesn't go to the school. It just They're always finding a way around everything, is my point, and it'll, it'll happen. I just well, don't want to be that guy. There's nobody on the planet more opposed to asset forfeiture laws than yours truly. All right. Chris, thank you for the call. It is a cautionary tale. We will pay attention. Thank you. Glad to have you on Gary on Guns. I'll, uh, I will check with uh, Ron Calzone. He is uh, really an expert on this. Uh, or Dale Roberts. Uh, these guys uh, have both worked hard to get this legislation through. Uh, but you're still taking a chance no matter what. Uh, even, even, if Chris were, even if Chris were wrong, and I'm not saying he is, uh, you're taking a chance uh, that a federal agent doesn't, doesn't see you and, and uh, go confiscate your firearm. 874-9390, toll-free, 800-529-5572. I was reading this uh, uh, story about the basic gun store etiquette. Um, I don't know if you saw this, The Truth About Guns. I have not read that, but I've read several of the, you know, what you should and shouldn't do in a gun store. Working in a gun shop, you get to interact, writes the author, with people at all levels of firearm experience. Most times the interaction is pleasant for all involved, but other times, well, you get where I'm going with this. When a gun store employee gets upset or possibly barks at you, for an infraction of our safety rules, it's not because we're power-hungry safety Nazis. It's because we may not know you, and we certainly don't know your intentions. One of the more sphincter-clenching moments for an employee of any gun shop is when a customer unexpectedly reaches for their concealed firearm to, quote, show us something <laughs> or ask a question. Yeah. Oh, my God, I'd be... I'd be Oh, you know what? We got Ron Calzone. He's on. He's listening. <laughs> uh, and I got 40 seconds. I'm going to switch gears. We're going to go up to a commercial break. Then we're going to chat with Ron Calzone about Chris's concerns. And, uh, and of course, uh, Powderhorn, I want to talk to you about that EZ. Uh, we're, we're actually going to talk calibers and stopping power. You're listening to Gary on Guns, Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. Hey, welcome. It's 35 minutes after the hour. And uh, we are uh, talking with Powderhorn. They are uh, our guests uh, and kind of guest hosting with me today, Jordan and Kelsey. And uh, we started talking about the uh, Second Amendment Preservation Act, which is uh, just about to get signed. Chris called with some concerns. I said, well, I'll just call Ron Calzone or Dale Roberts. They know. And Ron Calzone called us. Wow. Ron, I want to do something. Before we get engaged in this conversation, I want to thank you. Wait a minute. Let me help you here. There we go. Uh, I want to thank you for all the uh, work that you did uh, with the Second Amendment Preservation Act, you know, keeping us up to oh. date. You've really been on top of things. It was, a, it was a team effort, Gary, with literally thousands of Missourians involved. Uh, so did you hear Chris's call? I did, as a matter of fact. In fact, I think Chris had uh, some excellent comments and excellent concerns. In fact, there's some things that we anticipated back in 2013. So if you remember, in 2013, we passed SEPA, the first version of SEPA. Right. Uh, the, the governor vetoed it. We missed overriding the veto by one vote. But while we were recouping from that, we learned some things. And his point about civil asset forfeiture is very well taken because we considered that back in 2013 and how that dynamic worked. 
And we built into SAPA some safeguards. We recognized that uh, we would have uh, state agents that were deputized by the feds, and as a result of that, uh, they would be immune from any kind of action, civil or otherwise actions in, in Missouri. And, and so we built into SAPA some safeguards for that eventuality. Uh, we also anticipated his concerns about other public officials. Not, this is not just about your, your, your cop on the street, your LEOs. Uh, the Second Amendment Preservation Act forbids any state official, as you pointed out, from in helping, helping to enforce federal gun control laws. So that means that if that individual who's, as you pointed out, an employee of the state, quote, drops a dime, makes a phone call, they have aided, they have given aid and assistance to that BATF agent that he called, and they are on the line for the penalties that are built into SAPA. What are those penalties? The, the penalties, first of all, it's against the law. So they would be breaking Missouri law, and so any any general criminal liability would apply. Uh, but the, the bigger thing is we did not want uh, an individual, a Missouri law-abiding citizen, to have to rely on government to protect their rights. So we built in a private cause of action. That means that you can take that individual to court. There's a prescribed penalty of $50,000, and uh, which is which is the latest version of SAPA is paid by the agency that that individual works for. And so there's lots of incentive for the chief of police, the sheriff, the prosecutor, whomever, to make sure that their employees are towing the line and they're not violating SAPA. Man, you guys really put some time and effort into this thing. This is it, amazing. It was, the fact of the matter is, is that, that this bill overall is better than what we passed in 2013. When you talk about the application of the of the bill and the actual protections built into it, now we had to do we had to make some compromises through the process of the session that I wish we didn't have to make, but it's still the hands down strongest Second Amendment Preservation Act in the entire country. Jordan and Kelsey are with us from Powderhorn. Uh, do you two have any questions for Ron about Second Amendment Preservation Act? I think it looks pretty. You know, from, from what I've read so thus far, it looks really, really good. I think, you know, my fear more comes, I don't know if I even call it fear, concern comes from funding issues when we don't comply with federal government mandates of with beginning to withhold funding for different things. You know, our police departments, of course, get tons of, of federal grants for this and that. And you, you start to wonder when and if down the road they will start to withhold some of those things as a, okay, you're going to do that, that's fine, but we're just not going to give you this million-dollar grant for this, this $500 million grant for that. And I, I don't know how much of that can be done and how long it would take, but that, that's usually where I see is they, you know, not direct attack it, just go, go around the side. Well, you know, I, I think Ron has a, a solution that the state can engage in, but uh, to make your point, if you didn't write a, a seatbelt law, the federal government would stop sending federal highway dollars to your state. Uh, they, they, they blackmailed states into making uh, the drinking age 21. They, they, the federal government does these kinds of things. But, Ron, it seems to me you and I were chatting one day about this, and there is some recourse that the state can engage in if the federal government tries that end run. We can do an end run, too, can't we, on them? Well, you know, that's, that is true. And the question is, is do the feds need us more than we need the feds? And, and I, and, you know, maybe that's debatable, but the fact of the matter is, is the federal government needs the states in a lot of areas. You know, for instance, 
he realized that the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, requires the federal government to get permission from state legislatures before they buy any real estate. And Missouri gave uh, the feds that blanket permission back in the 1930s, but that's something that should be rescinded. But maybe more to the point about withholding federal funds, there's about five landmark U.S. Supreme Court opinions that support the principle behind the Second Amendment Preservation Act, and that principle is called the anti-commandeering doctrine. Basically, it says that the federal government can't commandeer a state agency or the state to do their work. And one of the more recent opinions was NFIB versus Sebelius, which was the Obamacare opinion. And in that, John Roberts, who's, who's been a pretty lousy Supreme Court justice, <laughs> and did, did one thing right. He said that not only can, uh, is, the, is the federal government forbidden to force states to expand Medicaid, they can't punish them if they choose not to. So he said explicitly they can't withhold existing Medicaid funding uh, as, a, as a punitive response to a state deciding that they are not going to expand Medicaid under Obamacare. So presumably that's precedent for them, uh, you know, for someone to argue, we've been getting this money from the feds and all of a sudden they are withholding it because we passed SEPA. Um, the U.S. Supreme Court said you can't do that. Now, as far as money in general, the fact of the money matter is, I'm sure Gary, you'll prove with it, uh, agree with this, is the federal money is corrupting. We want to wean ourselves from federal money anyway. We, and the whole idea behind SEPA is Missouri laws to be written by Missourians. We should not be coerced into doing something that people in Massachusetts or Chicago or New York want us to do. And, and so I say that if, because we are protecting people's gun rights, the federal government's going to say, you can't have this grant or have that grant. We should tell them what to do with that grant. <laughs> um, it wouldn't, wouldn't be a very sunshiny place, would it? Where, um, it, it would not. Uh, let me ask you a couple more questions, then I'll let you go back to uh, relaxing and enjoying your Saturday. Uh, the, the Second Amendment Preservation Act is going to get signed by the governor today. Is that correct? It is scheduled for 2 o'clock. It has an emergency clause, so that means it, be, it, it will be in effect, as soon as the governor signs it. Woo! Man, you guys did yeoman's work on this. Uh, all right, uh, any other questions uh, before I uh, let Ron go back to enjoying his weekend? No, I okay. don't think so. That was wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was good. Ron, thank you for all the work you do. I will, I will add this, Gary. The advice I've heard you repeatedly give is excellent. You're pointing out that SAPA prevents Missouri officials from enforcing fed, federal gun laws but not federal officials. So if you go to the, the range with, uh, with that bump stock, which, I, which is legal, I think, still federally now, right? Now it is, uh, yeah. Or for the time being. And, and also, I'm not sure that the, uh, the ATF hand brace thing is changing that much. You know, the, the proposed rule still says you, you can't intend to use it on the shoulder. But in any event, let's just say that those things are made illegal. You go to the range with them, and there's a federal agent there at the range, uh, he still will have the authority, he will still have the ability to, to prosecute you on that. Uh, but to the point, to Chris's point, uh, prosecutors, Missouri prosecutors, they are still culpable to SAPA. Beautiful. Ron, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Ron Calzone, MoFirst.org. You want to know what's going on in Jeff City, you go to MoFirst.org. 
Powderhorn is in with us, and uh, we're going to chat a little bit about firearm etiquette when you go into, uh, say, Powderhorn or any other gun store. Coming up, Darren Guns, Hot Talk, 93.9 The Eagle. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. It is uh, 49 minutes after the hour. Uh, we got the fine folks in from Powderhorn, Jordan and Kelsey, in uh, in studio with us uh, today. They brought in three firearms. I've been wanting to talk about calibers in the 32 and the EZ, uh, and I think we're going to almost have to put that off till the next hour just as well. It's the way we usually do it. Uh, but we're talking about gun store etiquette. Uh, the story is at truthaboutguns.com. Recently, a customer attempted to pull his firearm from his holster to show me his new acquisition and to ask if I thought he got a good deal. As he was attempting to draw the firearm from the holster, I had to give him two sharp verbal warnings. Stop. I yelled at him. Stop. Once he realized I was mid-draw with my firearm, and I was deadly serious, he allowed me to walk him through the proper steps. Uh, I don't know how often that happens to you uh, at Powderhorn, but if I'm going into Powderhorn and I want to uh, have you look at my firearm, uh, maybe I want to trade it in, maybe I want to put some uh, something on the, on the rail or something that I want to buy it for... Would you, uh, I, I assume you want me to bring that in without the magazine in it, or at the very least, completely empty? Yes. <laughs> Preferably, <laughs> yes. Um, and we, I mean, we get people, I would say daily, that want us to look at a firearm of theirs for some reason. You know, hey, it's not cycling the ammo properly. Hey, I want to get a holster. Hey, I want, you know, I have one of these, I want another one, kind of thing. Um, generally speaking... Most people don't need to touch their loaded firearm for any reason inside the store. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you tell me you have a Glock 43 and you want a holster for it, I have an empty Glock 43 in the case, and I have holsters that we can try on without you having to remove your weapon. Um, now, obviously, now with availability being somewhat lessened, um, it's a little more difficult. But, yes, if you want to try your gun in a holster, you can go outside or go, you know, to a safer location and remove your firearm and we will unload it for you um, if we're inside the building just to keep things has, a little bit safer. Yeah. Have, have, have you been, uh, you know, have you witnessed this at Powderhorn? Recently. Recently? Yes. Oh, that, sounded, <laughs> that sounded like, oh my God, yesterday. <laughs> no, yes, yesterday. Um had some people coming in wanting to do a person-to-person -person transfer, which we love. If you want to come transfer your firearm to somebody else that you're selling it to, you don't know them, please come to a transfer. It takes 20 minutes of everybody's time, and it just makes everybody's life a little bit easier. Um, the, the magazine of this firearm was not loaded, but it had a round in the chamber. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's like the most dangerous thing in the world. Yeah. So... Um, Obviously, we mag out first, clear, and we kept the round. Um, <laughs> little, little souvenir, but <laughs> yeah. Wow, that is that is scary. Uh, usually, when we pass around a semi-automatic or even a revolver uh, in the studio, uh, we have it open and latched open, or we have the cylinder out so that you can validate, verify before you pick it up that it is, in fact, empty. The most deadly gun in the world is the empty one, isn't it? 
yeah. It's amazing how many people have been shot with unloaded firearms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's bad. But we just, in fact, we just got done with our yearly training. We do training with all of our employees from all the companies every year on the firearm safety and how to show it, how to receive it, how to do all that stuff with the, uh, uh, with the firearms. Because, you know, when you're around it as much as everybody is, especially us. Around guns and ammo people all the time, you do get complacent, but uh, it happens. It happens uh, probably once a week between the different locations that that uh, that we have. We we have we have uh, firearms come in that are they're loaded, and we have to deal with it. And we try not to make people feel bad. Um, you know, I think a lot of us are pretty darn blessed with the upbringing we had and the experience we had from our parents or others, and so we take this as as you know, duh, it's got to be open. We got to hand it to each other in a in a certain way. And a lot of people don't know that, especially after last year with all the new gun owners that we had last year, they just, they, they don't know. They don't mean to do something rude. They don't mean to do something um, that's violating safety issues. They just don't know. So then we just try to help them, hey, in the future, this is how this is how you should do this. This is how this should operate. You know, they uh, when you take a concealed carry class, they really ought to spend a lot of time talking about that gun safety thing. Um, it, just because you've gone through the basics and you... Uh, and you've gotten your permit, this this does not make you qualified to defend yourself. You may be able to, uh, but take some classes, learn about safety. We talked last week about gun storage. Uh, if you don't have a gun safe, uh, separate the ammo from the firearm at night uh, unless it's on you or within your reach. If you leave the house, you don't want someone to break in and, uh, you know, Eureka, everything is here. Yeah, and we, we talk about, uh, mine was a three-step rule for nighttime, so having your firearm near you while you were sleeping. Um, make yourself have to do at least three steps, uh, whether that be get up and physically take three steps to get to your firearm or have to get up and manipulate your firearm in some way. Gives a, gives your wife a chance to go, hey, what are you doing? Uh, she's coming back in from getting a glass of water in the middle of the night or whatever else happens. It gives you a chance to wake up from that dead sleep and start to <laughs> start to have some kind of processing skills. That's interesting. I'd never heard of that. Um, take a few steps, make sure that you're awake. That's one of the first shootings I worked as a as a police officer was a gentleman who shot his wife, and it was he slept with his forty five under his pillow, and she'd gone out to get a drink of water. Was walking back in the bedroom, startled him. He woke up. He shot twice, and oh. she lived through it. Um, she didn't live through it, but that that was early on. I was twenty one years old when I experienced that, and you're like. Okay, I'm going to change some of my training to say, well, you need to be able to get up and start to wake up. Because we've all been woken up in the middle of the night, phone call, whatever else. And <laughs> we're not usually all that all that home uh, when, when that occurs. So you've got to do something that starts to get your brain pumping a little bit. Otherwise, you have a big chance of making a really bad decision. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the first thing I do, if, and this happens, it happens to everybody. You hear a noise in the middle of the night and you're not sure what it is. First thing I do... Um, and it's just instinct for me is to pat my wife. I, I want to make sure she's in the bed with me. Mostly because she's a better shot than me, and I want to make sure she, she's awake. In case somebody comes through that fatal funnel, I know she'll nail them. That's, I figured you had her awake to go check on it while you get back to sleep. Yeah, I told this story uh, on the air before, and it's a true story. Uh, my first wife, my late wife, uh, Roxanne, she and I bought an old house in Cleveland. And uh, it was, we were remodeling it. It was complete wreck when we bought it. And we had a dog. So in the middle of the night, uh, and this house had been burgled uh, while we were constructing. So we were a little concerned. In the middle of the night, I hear something. So I don't see particularly well without my contacts. I wake up, I get the dog, I let the dog out, and I get my gun to head downstairs. 
And my late wife turns around and calls the dog back. Well, it turned out that it was just a piece of lumber that fell. There was nobody there. And I said, why did you call the dog back? And she said, well, I didn't want the dog to get hurt. <laughs> so, what am I, potato salad? Come on. Uh, but, but uh, you know, if you are uh, not alone in the house, uh, you might want to go through some routines to teach yourself how to handle it. Yep. In the event you hear a noise in the middle of the night, <laughs> you just need to know how you're each going to respond. All right, uh, we're going to come back and chat a little bit about calibers, the EZ, and the guns, that uh, the firearms that they brought in from Powderhorn. I'm Gary on Guns.